the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, I'm going to try to start a new series. I'm not sure. Sometimes I don't know, but I'm going to try to start a new series. We're going to start going through the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, and see about the early church and so forth. So I'm going to entitle it, Acts Right. <laughs> Teach us to act right. Um, and tonight's message is called, Empowered and Employed. Let's pray. Father, I've been talking good about you already, because there's nothing I can say bad against you. There's no way that I could come to you with an accusation because everything you do is holy, just, right, and pure, and good for me. And so, Father, we know that that's what you're going to do here tonight. We know that your word is pure. It's water washing away the, the bad thinking that we have and the, the corruption that comes through into our minds and our hearts through the lust of the things of this world. We know you're going to wash us tonight. You're going to get that junk off. You're going to set us free again. I'm glad we made it here tonight. I'm glad that we made it to Wednesday so that we can be, go to the house of the Lord. I thank you that you're intentional about Wednesday night service and the people who come. You're intentional about Sundays. You're intentional about Tuesday prayer. You're intentional about our outreaches. We want to be intentional like you, and we want all things to work together for your good, for your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Well, I started playing guitar when I was about 14 or 15. Uh, I lived across from Havenview Junior High in Whitehaven, and I would swing open. I'd, I'd ride across the street, and I'd swing open that door, and I had that PV amplifier, and I'd sit it right in the doorway. And when everybody else was getting out of school, I'd be in there playing some Ted Nugent. You know, I'd just be just loud as I could go. I just wanted to be a rock star when I was you know, a kid. So we, we, some, me and my neighborhood friends, especially my best friend Hal, uh, we started a band. He, he got him a bass for Christmas, and we started bands. Uh, could never find anybody that could sing. I couldn't sing, but since I wanted to have a band, somebody had to sing, so I was the only one that could play and sing at the same time, so I ended up singing. And it would make me so mad. I'd write these songs. I was a writer, too. I was writing songs and stuff, and I'd write these songs, and then I would sing them, and then everybody would say, the song's all right, but singing, you know, they really would hassle me about, <laughs> about my singing, and I would get so mad because nobody else would sing, and I just had to do it because nobody else would. And then Hal, he, was, he would play the song, and I don't know what would happen. He would be doing good for about three-quarters of the way through the song, and then all of a sudden his brain would just lapse, and he would just forget what the next chord is, and he would just panic and go to some chord and it would just like train wreck the song and I just got I used to get so mad we would uh there were times when we were playing like a pizza hut or something we'd be playing some little live gig that let us pray play for free or something and we'd be playing and he would do that in the middle of a song and there'd be times I would just turn around in front of the crowd and just look at him like he's crazy the other times I would just stop the song and say how what are you doing you know
you know, <laughs> yell at him. It was a, it was a fiasco. I couldn't hardly take it, you know. And I would be the leader of the band because I, you know, was the only one that would do their homework and learn the songs and teach everybody else, sort of like today. Just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. No. I'm just kidding. Uh, I remember one time in particular, we used to practice. Now, back then, we were so into our music that we didn't practice once a week like the praise team does. We practiced like six or seven times a week, every night. I mean, that's just what we did. We would practice at my house for a week, and then we would drive my mama Betty. We'd move to Hal's house, and we'd practice. When we'd drive his mama Betty, we'd move out to his shed, a tool shed, really, and we'd bring the equipment, and we would practice in there for a week. And then when it'd get too cold out there, we'd move back to my house. We'd practice all the time. But being that together that often, it got to where we would get on each other's nerves. And one time I remember in particular, we was at Hal's house, and we were playing, and he did that train wreck thing, and I turned around and said, how, what are you doing? And he must have had a bad day that day, because he, he finally said something back. He said, you're going to have to stop yelling at me. I said, well, you need to get yours, you know, and he you need to get yours. And he said, and he took his bass off and started walking towards the door, meet me out in the front yard. And I took my guitar off, and I met him out in the front yard, and guess what happened? That's right. We'll find out the rest of this story later. <laughs> oh, my goodness. John 6.38 says about Jesus, says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he knew he came to do God's, God's will. You gotta, excuse me, I got a little cough tonight. <clears throat> John 3.34 says Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. So he was what you would call empowered, and employed. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and employed to do the will of the Father. So tonight's message, like I said, is called Empowered and Employed. And we're going to start in the book of Acts, none other than chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, he was a physician, lived some 2,000 years ago. He traveled with Paul, and he says in verse 1, in my first book, I guess I assume he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, I told you, Theopolis, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Now, you know that the disciples walked with Jesus. They, they saw him do the miracles and bring the dead back to life and all the things that we talk about all the time. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? It would have been so great. But even walking with Jesus... It was still hard to imagine, just seeing him in the flesh, it was hard to imagine that he's God. Can you imagine? I mean, you see the miracles, but you still think, he looks like one of us. You know, he, does this, he sleeps like us, and it's hard to imagine him as God. But can you imagine after they saw him resurrected from the dead, when they had saw his limp body on the cross taken down and put into a, a tomb for three days, 
But then he came back. It says for 40 days he appeared to them at different times and began probably to reiterate the things he had taught them earlier because they were too, too big a knuckleheads to grasp it. You know, they didn't grasp much earlier. But now I imagine they're hanging on to every word. You know, this is God. I think they got it now. You, you remember when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Only one of them jumped up and said, you're the Christ. You know, it should have been all 12 of them. But now, I imagine they're just like, <laughs> you know, can you imagine walking with the resurrected Savior who has proven who he is? All right? Uh, when we was at Youth Villages last Saturday, I told you um, that we had 30 salvations and... Uh, when I got up to minister to them, I asked them a question. I had a soul food CD, which is worth probably 13, 14 cents. And I said, I said, I will give this CD to whoever can answer this question. And so they got real quiet and they started listening and because uh, they don't know who soul food was. They thought it might be worth something. And, and so I said, who can tell me in what city, what city houses the bones of Jesus Christ? And they all went, <clears throat> somebody, uh, somebody said, Jerusalem? And then it was kind of quiet, and they were all looking at each other. And I said, no city, dummy. <laughs> Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. His bones are nowhere. And they all said, oh, man, yeah, you're right, dude. You got me on that one, you know. But it's true. Jesus is alive. They don't have his bones anywhere. The doubters and the unbelievers would love to find the bones of Jesus. But they can't find them because they ain't around here. He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. So he proved to them and all the others, it said he was seen by over 500 at one time after he was resurrected. So many people... There were people come out of the graves alive the moment that, that Jesus Christ died on that cross, you know. The power of what was happening at that time during Passion Week, it was tremendous. It says, uh, goes on to say in verse 3, and, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. See, he's having to remind them of things he told them before. Uh, John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he don't want them to go anywhere. As American Express says, don't leave home without him. I don't want you going and trying to minister to nobody without the gift of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you doing this stuff in the flesh because you'll mess it up. As Capital One says, what's in your wallet? Jesus is saying, what's in your heart? Right? Jesus knew how weak the disciples were. Because uh, in one place it says that he knew what was in man. And it wasn't good. See, the whole thing about Jesus dying on the cross was to break that wall of separation so that we could be the home of the Holy Spirit, so that God could be in us. That was his prayer in John 17, that they may be in us as we are in them. His whole thing was to get us filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, because without the power, we can't do a thing. 
If we're not connected with Christ, we're not hooked up to the vine, if his power's not flowing through us, if we're just on our own out here, calling ourselves Christian but denying the power of, then we are weak. And we are likely to run when the soldiers come and desert Jesus when the pressure rises. We don't have what it takes. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, verse 6, Lord, has the time come for you? Say you. Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now Jesus could have stopped them right there and said, listen up, fellas. I've done my initial part. Let's talk about your part. See, they're still pointing at Jesus. You're the one who does everything. We're just following you. But in verse 7, he says, the Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times, and that's not for you to know. But he says in verse 8, but you, say you, he puts the ownership back on them. You said, what can I do? Well, what can you do? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, you don't know it yet, but you're going to play a big part in the process of restoring the kingdom of God and setting Israel free. You're going to be a player. Up until now, you've just leaned on me for everything. And that's why I said it's good that I go away. Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to lead and guide you. It's going to be your responsibility on this earth to spread the kingdom of God. And he says, and you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. That's what a witness does, isn't it? It testifies to what it has seen. It tells what it knows. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They were in Jerusalem, so it was in their hometown. Judea was the area in which they lived, like DeSoto County. You know, Samaria was like over across the way, was a town Sardis or something, you know, still within the vicinity, but then around the world, man. You're going to make this, you're not just going to stop. You're going to go to the ends of the earth being a witness for me. And this would end up being the outline to the book of Acts that we're going to study, as you would see. It's kind of the two-part thing, God's two-part plan. Get them filled and get them busy. Get them filled and get them busy. Get them filled and get them gone. Get them going. Set them to work. We're not just left down here just to wait it out. I wonder when Jesus is coming back. I wonder when Jesus is going to do this. I wonder when Jesus is going to do that. Well, you are the hands and the feet and the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. Now look. This was back before special effects. They hadn't even seen E.T. This is, this is back before airplanes and helicopters. Before running engines or even probably running water. They hadn't seen this kind of thing. Jesus is taken up into a cloud. They've got to be freaking out while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. 
And they're just sinner in all. They're, what? What? And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. In other words, as Jesus was ascending, God was already sending two angels to meet him on the way down because God knew that we couldn't be alone for a second. He's on the way up and the two angels on the way down. In verse 11, it says, they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Too many of us are sitting here, staring into heaven, waiting on something else to happen. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being heavenly minded. We should be heavenly minded. We should be full of awe, full of hope for the future. We should be thinking about Jesus and the way it's going to be. And that day, that, that, what do they call it in the, in the hymns? In the sweet by and by. Oh, we're looking for the sweet by and by. And I am. I'm, it's hopeful. That's the thing that keeps me getting up in the morning. I can't wait. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait till he comes back. But if you're all heavenly minded, you can turn out no earthly good. And we can't let that happen. We got to be balanced. Say balanced. <laughs> Hebrews 10.23. We're going to go to a a different scripture off of Acts for a moment. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. See, that's the hope that God is going to do his part. And we know God's going to do his part. We can all agree on that, right? But it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. We know God's going to do his part. He's done the initial work. He's laid the foundation. But now we've got to motivate one another because there is the variable. That can tend to be the problem. <laughs> and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. In other words, he's going to do it through the church. The church is an important part of God's plan. People out there saying, I don't need the church. Me and God got our own little thing. We just meet up at Starbucks and I read my Bible to him. But I don't believe in church. Well, you don't believe in what Jesus believes in because we are his bride. He has invested in us to the point where he's, gonna, he's betrothed himself to us. The church. He works through the church. I'm not going into all that. But we got to not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that we see the day of his return drawing near. Especially now. The end is here. Because the same way you saw him go, the angel says, you're going to see him come back again. Man, he might be on the way now. I can almost hear the trumpet warming up. <laughs> 
play the trumpet like how? Listen, we too are empowered and employed. Jesus was empowered with the Holy Spirit. He was employed with the mission from God. We too are empowered and employed. We are not sitting down here on welfare. But many Christians today, they shirk their job description as a witness. Isn't that what we're called? He said, you shall be my witnesses. He didn't suggest that we become witnesses. He didn't even say, go be my witness. He said, you shall be my witness. But some of us, are, we're too afraid to witness. Therein lies the problem. The devil has kept us from being who we're called to be. God has called us a witness, so the first thing the devil attacks us is, no, you can't go around telling people about Jesus. You can't be a witness. I want you to turn to that devil right now. If he's on your left shoulder, turn to your, no. <laughs> Tell that devil right now, it's my job. Say it. It's my job. Don't let that devil take, steal your job from you. I know when you used to work at the restaurant, you were scared when they told you to suggest to the customer to get some fries with that order. But you did it because it was your job. There's things that your job you do that you were scared to do. Nobody walks into a job thinking, I've got all this down. They're scared to do that job. But they break through because it's their job. What if something is who you are? God says it's your job. You've been empowered and employed. I sound like that uh, porky pig. And there's a reasonable expectation that we should do our job, right? God has a right to expect us to do what we're called to do. And when we see the example Jesus set, I mean... He did everything he was called to do. He left no stone unturned. He did exactly what the Father wanted in every regard. And when we see the suffering that that brought into his life, but he did it for us, how can we turn away from our job responsibility and not take up the part which is lacking in the suffering of Christ? Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Did you say something was lacking about Jesus? Heresy in the church. Run him out. Get the pitchfork. We didn't like this preaching anyway. He's making me nervous. This is what I mean. Colossians 1.24. In the English Standard Version says, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. See, Paul has been suffering for the gospel's sake. He's been putting himself on the line. For the people of God. He's been trying to build churches in places they don't want churches. He's been trying to preach the gospel in places where they're going to try to kill him. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up 
what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. There's that word lacking. So it's not heresy for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's not saying that that he's doing anything to add to Jesus' salvation. Jesus finished the foundation. But he needs us to continue the work, to continue to build the church upon the foundation that is set. His work is complete. He said it is finished. He has completed the work of salvation. It's up to us to bring in the sheep into the fold, to fill up the ark like Noah tried to do. It's our responsibility to take up the suffering of Christ. If that means, man, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway, then that's what it means. To be like Jesus, to say, man, if there be another way, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to do it because you asked me to do it because that's who you made me. Is a Christian's success measured by what we believe or how we act on that belief? Believing got you hired for this job. You know, you didn't work for your salvation. It was by belief. It was by faith. But your actions determine your added value. And we're supposed to be fruit bearers. We're supposed to be fruit producers. If someone hires you and gives you a company car, they give you the key to the storehouses of heaven, and you have confessed them as your boss, your Lord, and you have agreed to the terms and conditions you assigned on the dotted line, it would be reasonable to expect you to obey the boss and produce for the company. Wouldn't it be reasonable? Have you, do you have a boss that doesn't expect you to do anything? Do you have a Lord that doesn't expect you to do your part? In this case, in this company that we're working for, we're producing fruit. And the fruit is the souls of mankind, disciples. That is what we're called to produce. That's what the church does. It goes and makes disciples, Christ followers. We have the words of eternal life. And we have to be accountable to share that. If you are in the ocean in a big old yacht or something, you come across a shipwreck and you see a wad of people out in the freezing frigid waters and sharks are attacking them and they're about to go under and die of, uh, what do you call it, hypothermia? Do you just say, well, be warm and be fed? God bless y'all. Hope you find a way home. No, we have a responsibility to bring them aboard the ark of safety, just like somebody did for us. If there's a fire, you, you have an obligation to yell out, there's a fire. Not just let people burn. We have to do more than mentally agree. Our belief has to inspire action. Man, I wish there was more people in here to hear this. <laughs> Jesus told a story about a fig tree that he saw from afar off. 
Well, he didn't tell the story. The story is told. This is what happened to Jesus. He sees a fig tree from afar off, and there's leaves on it, and he's a hungered, King James language. He's a hungered. My favorite King James is wherefore slew he him. (laughs) And wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil. (laughs) Talking about Cain and Abel. But anyway, but the King James says he was a hungered. And he saw the fig tree from afar off, and he couldn't wait to get there to partake of the figs. And when he got there, there were no figs. The fig tree was, is often symbolization of the, the nation of Israel and how they would not produce fruit. So Jesus cursed that fig tree. Fired. Anybody in here been fired before? I hope not. I imagine it would be a terrible experience. Don't don't raise your hand. (laughs) Sometimes you're fired for good reasons. Sometimes it's just because they don't like you. Sometimes it's because they want to get their brother-in-law in in there. I know there's all kinds of reasons to be fired. But you certainly don't want to be fired because you're not producing what you're supposed to be producing. So what is the job description for a witness? Four words. The way I see it. Be who you are. You see, God gets to name his creation. He gets to call what it is what it is. If your creator says, you will be my witnesses, then you have the power to be his witnesses. He has named you. He has called you witnesses. So be who you are. A duck's not happy unless he's quacking. Quack, 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 quack. God's people are not happy unless they are witnessing. Oh. Oh. I wonder why my heart seems incomplete. That no matter how ahead I get, seem to get in life, and even when things are going well, that there's something missing. I thought Jesus was supposed to fill that up. He does. But have you given him full control? Because if you gave him full control, witnessing would be a part of it. You would be who you're called to be. Maybe, just a thought, but maybe... This emptiness that you feel is because you are not stepping in to what you were called to be a witness. Just an idea. But we can get out of the flesh. We can walk into the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can walk into... See, the flesh is weak. Oh, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh don't want to do nothing. It don't want to do... Man, it'll think of a thousand reasons... It'll think of 10,000 reasons why you can't even be here for a class about witnessing. Hmm, that's all I'll say about that. We got Dare to Share classes 101. We've been having on Monday nights. Love to have somebody show up. Had a few. Few faithful. So, how do you do this witnessing? 
well, I don't have enough time tonight. We could stand here and preach and preach and preach for till the cows come home about ways that you witness and the type of things that you do. And uh, but I saw an article that I thought was really good, just kind of get you started in the right direction. It's a guy named Alvin Reed. He said he talked about how Jesus did it, and I said that's a good place to start every time. He said Jesus seized opportunities. He was looking for them. When he encountered the woman at the well, he seized the chance to tell her about himself. There was no wasted opportunities, no wasted meetings with Jesus. When the disciples, the Pharisees, or others questioned him, he took such questions as an opportunity to reveal the truth to them. What if we started looking at every conversation as a ministry opportunity? Every encounter that Jesus had was unique. In other words, there was no cookie-cutter approach until how he witnessed to somebody. You know, I've seen those. I've tried those. I've had people come to my door and say, Hello, we're with the so-and-so church, and we would like to ask you four questions. We are doing a survey on what people think about Jesus. You're like, shaboom. <laughs> you know what? That ain't the way to do it. <clears throat> That's what's making it hard for the rest of us Christians <laughs> that are trying to be real with folks. We don't need to be plastic. There's no cookie-cutter stamp approach. You just got to be real with people, and they got to know you love them, and they got to see you care. All right? Jesus offered an unchanging message. He didn't mold his message to each person. He's still the way, the truth, and the life every time he told it. But he delivered it in a uniquely, unique way to each person in every situation. He talked about the things that they wanted to talk about. Jesus rarely preached at a person. He often just engaged in conversation. He did not pre merely present the truth, in other words, but he asked questions, and he answered theirs. The thing, when he would present the truth, it would be in conversation. You know, you, conversation, people will open up in a conversation if there's information going both ways. But when you're preaching at somebody, you're telling them everything you know, and you're hammering them. I got to back off of this. Dude, I, you're a little strong or whatever. You, lady, you're... You don't know me, you know. And they, they start putting up walls. But when there's an engagement and a back and a forth, it says the average person has 27 conversations a day. What if we simply inserted Jesus into our conversations more? If, I mean, if you have 27 a day, you think maybe three or four of them will be with somebody that probably needs witnessing to. And you just maybe just started out with a, man, I tell you, man, I'm blessed. What do you mean? Oh, God's been good to me. You know, I was going, I was down. And, and you just share a little of your testimony. You open the, the door. Like Brother Van says, they begin to see that you are blessed. They begin to see something different in you. And then they begin to come to you before long. You know, what, what is it you're doing? Can you give me some advice about this? You know, that light in you begins to shine. And I'm not saying there's not time to, to get right down to business with somebody if the Holy Spirit, you know, leads you to do such, but I'm talking typically. Jesus was approachable. He allowed people to come to him with questions. Uh, 
Are we approachable like that? Do Coke workers, neighbors, Coke workers, I don't know if you work at Coke, uh, <clears throat> but do your co-workers, neighbors, and others feel comfortable speaking to you about spiritual things? Jesus sought people. He went, he went to Zacchaeus. He went and found his disciples, and he called them out. You know, he went out. You, you, got to, you can't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We're called to go into all the world. So he, he, led, he was led by the Holy Spirit. We just simply got to look for opportunities, not excuses. I mean, I'm preaching to, to an amen crowd here tonight. I'm preaching to the toughest warriors in the city of South Haven, Horn Lake, Mississippi. I am talking to the, the next generation who's going to win this, this DeSoto County for Jesus. I am talking to warriors who showed up here on a Wednesday night warrior, as a Wednesday night warrior. And we don't look for excuses, we look for opportunities. We've, we've been through that excuse thing, and it's time to move on to find ourselves in Christ, to find our purpose, and to be who we're called to, people, to be. I know the people in this church are so innovative in the ways that they reach people. What I'm talking about is mostly for those that may hear this on a, a podcast. Because when I talk to you, when I, I sit over here and talk with these two, I hear how they're w reaching out. I hear how they're doing, living with integrity. When I talk to Lisa, I hear how she's ministering to people. When I talk to Daniel or John or anybody, anybody in this room, I hear about the ways, ideas that you have for outreaches and how she wants to give. The people in this room, y'all are doing it. Y'all are, are not sitting back making excuses why I don't do anything for Jesus. Y'all are looking for opportunities. So don't think that I'm, I know a lot of times I sound like I'm always coming down on people. Because that's just my preaching style. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of things you can do as a person. When you dedicate your whole life to being a witness, it's your finances, like Brother Van says. I mean, think of Brother Van understands that he's blessed to be a blessing. If Brother Van wasn't tithing and others like him in this church, we would not have this facility. We probably wouldn't be here because not everybody understands tithing yet. Not everybody gives their fair share. And there's people like Kirsty and others who go way above and beyond in their giving that keeps this place alive. While the others, rest of us get to that place where we can get it. One day, you know, we'll all get it and we'll, we'll have everything that we need to, to spread the gospel. But everybody in here is doing what they can to make sure that we fill these purple chairs. You're inviting people. I hear it. I'm ex so when I talk about this stuff, I have to remind myself not to be too hard because I am talking to some, some Mississippi warriors for Jesus Christ. But some argue, you know, not anybody in here, but well, I'm not into full-time ministry, Pastor. I'm not into fivefold. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. You know, some people think it's the pastor's job to do all that preaching stuff, to do all that ministry stuff. But that's not what the Bible says. In Ephesians 4.12, well, in Ephesians 4.11, it talks about the fivefold ministry, the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, and all that. And then in verse 12, it says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. 
So I'm doing my job right now. I'm equipping you. I'm encouraging you to do God's work. Then it goes on to say that I'm to help build up the church and the body of Christ. And that's what I want to do. I want to build you up, build up this church. I want, I want to see people thriving in their, in their work space for Jesus. Thriving in their uh, calling. I want to see everybody in their place. And not, not everybody is five-fold ministry. You know, we can make it sound like that. Those of us, especially in ministry, we begin to say, oh, you know, well, if you keep working like that, one day you'll be a preacher. Well, if God didn't call you to preach, all the working you can do in the world ain't going to call you to be a preacher. God has to have somebody working at the Sears Roebuck, even when it's going out of business. God has to have somebody working at the Taco Bell, in the schools, wherever your job is. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. You are in full-time ministry. You may not be in a five-fold ministry, but you are in full-time ministry with the very life that you live. Every day when you go to work is an opportunity to, to, to be a light where you're at and to make a difference and to work as if you're doing it to the Lord. The, your work ethic the way you handle yourself, the way you act different than the others is going to give you those, those ministry opportunities. And I tell you, when we do all that we know to do and we follow the Holy Spirit the best we know and we lay our head down on our pillows at night and we get a good night's sleep because even if things don't go well and there's bickering and arguing and, and strife and that you're dealing with and stuff, but you know you've done your best, there's satisfaction in a job well done. So I put down my Stratocaster, and I said, all right, let's go. We walked out into the front yard, and I'm telling you, we was both mad. We've been best friends for five or six years. I mean, we hung out every night playing in the band, but we had had enough of one another. And so we walked up to each other, and I, and I didn't know if he was going to hit me, but I wanted to hit him, but then I didn't want to hit him because that was my best friend. You ever been in that situation? You both want to hit each other, but you don't want to be the first one to throw a punch because you don't know if the other one's how serious he is. So we just started wrestling. <laughs> and we wrestled one another and bear hugged and stuff, and we threw each other on the ground. We rolled around two almost grown men in the front yard arguing over who missed the note on the base. <clears throat> and we're rolling around, and guess who won? I ain't going to tell you. We both lost because I was lost as a goose at the time. <laughs> but I tell you what, I look back now. Who knew my songwriting would one day lead to sermon writing? Who knew that my singing would one day turn to praise and almost be bearable? And who knew that my guitar playing would turn to worship and that my leading the band would one day turn into leading a church? <sighs> Want to wrestle? <laughs> I have changed a little bit since then. I haven't wrestled anybody since I've been pastor. 
Although me and Chad have come close. <laughs> he may argue about the way I am at practice still. I still got to change in some ways as we go, you know. But, <clears throat> but now that I have discovered my purpose, and now that the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in my heart, by the, by the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, and I have changed, I'm quacking like a happy duck. I'm no longer a lost goose. There's another parable that Jesus told about a fig tree. And it was the one that I mentioned not too long ago about one that wasn't producing fruit. And the, the gardener saw it and the, the owner of the estate said, dig it up. It's just taking up space in the garden. Get it out of here. It's not producing fruit. But the gardener says, give me some chance with it. Let me work with it. You know, I'll, I'll dig around it and we'll, we'll dung it real good. And we'll work with it. And if it doesn't produce fruit in a year, then so be it. We'll dig it up. If you haven't been producing fruit, you've resisted your calling to this point to be a witness. Maybe this is that second chance for you. Reconsider, my friend, before the boss comes back. The clock is ticking. You don't want to get to heaven God said, what did you do for the kingdom? And you'd be like, oh, still staring up into heaven. Everybody saved, raise your hand. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, stomp your feet. All right. If, if the devil's under your feet, stomp him twice. All right. Take the devil outside. There you go. We don't let him in here anyway. <clears throat> well, that's all I have to say about that. <clears throat> Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Anybody else got any impressions before we leave? listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.